You're listening to the audio podcast of Richard Hefner's Open Mind. For more information, visit 13.org slash open mind. I'm Richard Hefner, your host on The Open Mind. And it was 20 years ago that today's guest and I recorded our first program together. Everett Dennis was then the executive director of the Freedom Forum Media Study Center at Columbia University, an erstwhile newspaper reporter with a doctorate in mass communication, constitutional law, and history from the University of Minnesota. He has also been dean of the School of Journalism and Communication at the University of Oregon, director of graduate studies in journalism and mass communication back at the University of Minnesota, and most recently, chairperson of communication and media management at Fordham University. Now Ev Dennis is dean and CEO of NUQ, Northwestern University in Qatar in the Middle East. And I would first ask my old friend, how goes it there? Though perhaps the introduction to his newest report on this unique institution sums up his answer best of all. Let me read from it. Learning and the advancement of knowledge are at the heart of our mission, he writes. But so too is promoting the value of freedom of expression in our objectives and operational programs. We take that charge seriously, my guest writes, and use it as we educate the next generation of global and entertainment professionals. Students and faculty work with the guarantee of academic freedom, students write, film, and publish freely, and classrooms are alive with debate. No society and no school is perfect, and building a tradition of freedom of expression in an emerging region where it has not been part of the culture is an incremental process. And my guest concludes, we're optimistic about that process and pleased to be a part of it. Ev, that's a very nice statement. And I wonder, going back to my first question, as I was going to put it to you, how goes it? It goes very well. First, Qatar is an amazing little country that is transforming itself from a traditional to a modern society. And there are a lot of, there's a lot of conflict in that process getting there. And our university is part of a consortium of other universities. There are six American universities sit there with other universities from France and England. So we're in an academic conclave, enclave in this amazing country of great change. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's an exciting place to be. Uh, nothing's ever boring there. Five steps forward and two steps back. It's an, as I mentioned, it's an incremental process of uh, uh, promoting learning and the advancement of knowledge there, building a journalism and communication program in a place where it has not been common and yet connected so much to a global economy and the desire of that country to be a player in the media world. Why is Northwestern there? Well, first because we were invited. Uh, Good reason. It came, and uh, Northwestern was invited in about 2007, 2008, at a time when the university was increasing its global presence and interested in the rest of the world. There was a lot of interest in the Middle East as a part of the world that they had not attended to very much before. And the invitation came to create a journalism and media school there, and that, those are among the uh, great strengths of Northwestern University. It's Medill 
School of Journalism and its School of Communication and some liberal arts work as well. And so they looked at it and evaluated the situation and decided to go. And so it's been, uh, it's been a, an, an extremely exciting venture and step-by-step uh, step, uh, creating both instructional programs, building research that makes sense, doing the kind of outreach that leads to change in the community. And all these at, all at one time, and it's a, it's a remarkable enterprise. What do you mean by change in the community? The change in the community is that first, there have been somewhat repressive press laws. Uh, it is a uh, country, it's a monarchy with certain traditions, and uh, there are a lot, of, a lot of traditions that change very slowly. So if one is going to be part of a knowledge-based economy, which is Qatar's uh, great goal, uh, one has to be a player, and, and to be able to do that, you need some independent media, you need transparency in institutions, a lot of things that have not been part of the scene there, and we're part of helping make that happen. Well, I told you I couldn't avoid reading in this morning's New York Times. We're taping yes. this program in December 2013, yes. but who knows what the future will bring. Uh, the title of this um, front page article by uh, Tamar Lewin is U.S. Colleges Finding Ideals Tested Abroad. And she talks about, this is about Wellesley College faculty reacting very strongly in terms of having made an agreement as Northwestern mm -hmm. has, um, finding that their school in another country, China, yes. uh, in this instance, is not able to uh, practice the freedom, the academic freedom that we're accustomed to uh, in this country. What happens then? Well, each, each case I think is different and each university going to various other places in the world has to determine what the bottom line is. For Northwestern, it was that the academic freedom guaranteed in the university in Evanston, Illinois must also exist on the campus in Education City where we are in Doha, Qatar. And that's true. Uh, we have full academic freedom for people to teach, uh, to explore ideas, for our students to write and work and do many, many things. Uh, there isn't the same freedom outside of the campus enclave. The, the community, the larger community itself, uh, has some d difficulties. It has not been a tradition of freedom of expression. And so one works with that incrementally. But I think having basic academic freedom is very important. At the same time, one can't expect a developing nation to have all the same values at the same level that they might exist in the United States or, or Western Europe. And you look in the United States, how I read the other day that Yale was founded in the early 1700s and it took until 1930 to have academic freedom. Well, the, these universities elsewhere are on a different trajectory. But I think the question is one of, are you willing to go into a place and be part, an agent of change, and not expect everything to be at a perfection level on the first day? And it seems to me that uh, it's an isolationist attitude to say that unless everything is done to your satisfaction and liking, that you agree with all the policies of a, of a, of a government, wherever it is, uh, is, is really uh, foolhardy. And you wouldn't communicate or be uh, a global citizen anywhere. We wouldn't go to China, we wouldn't go to Russia in the old days or even today. And I read only this morning in the New York Times that a person could be arrested in the beautiful city of Monte Carlo for criticizing the prince. Uh, and so there's imperfection everywhere and we're trying to be a part of of the change and so far so good. Let me ask you whether on the Northwestern campus yes. 
uh, here in this country, mm -hmm. whether there is opposition to the presence of the university in Katoa. Not any formal opposition. I think I, I should mention that Northwestern's uh, strategic plan has to do with engaging the world, and this is a part of the engagement of the world. It's Northwestern's only overseas campus, and so it's very much a test case for the future. There has been opposition at times to policies in Qatar or particular international incidents, one involving a poet a year ago when a poet was arrested and charged and eventually sentenced to life in prison and then the sentence later uh, uh, reduced to 15 years and still very much in play. From time to time there is criticism uh, and you hear it and we respond. It seems that every time there's an international incident in the region or the area I hear about it and uh, we simply can't be expected to be the, either the apologists for the government or the fixers for everything that goes on. But we often raise our voices and uh, we do this sometimes quietly, sometimes uh, in, in more effective ways, but you know, so far it's, it's been a very good journey for Northwestern and I think it, uh, the main thing for us is that we live by the core values of the university itself and uh, we promote them in that particular region and it's been, it's been a very healthy thing, not just for our journalism and communications area and some liberal arts, but through various other projects that Northwestern has bringing into the area, grants in the sciences, project having to do with traffic safety and some others. So it's a very active place and uh, happily our president, Morton Shapiro, says now uh, Northwestern University has three campuses, Evanston, Chicago and Doha, and we're very proud of that, to be a part of the university. It's 12th school, but very much it's overseas representative. Why are there so many other American educational institutions in this one particular tiny spot? Well, uh, there is a vision of the country itself to move from a carbon-based economy to a knowledge-based economy. And so the leadership of the country represented by the former emir who abdicated last summer and his consort, the Sheikh Moza uh, bint Nasser, uh, to create an educational enclave, uh, second to none in the world. And it is an amazing place to see massive buildings on a campus that started out as 2,500 acres and has spread out by world-class architects uh, and an effort to speak to the national vision of Qatar which has to do as I said with uh, a knowledge-based economy. So Cornell went there to develop a medical school. Uh, uh, Carnegie Mellon has business and computer science there. Amongst, uh, Georgetown is there with political science, foreign service and, and the liberal arts and Texas A&M in engineering and other schools. Now most recently University College London has come, HEC Paris and others and the the Qatar Foundation, which is the sponsor for all this activity, is creating four or five new graduate schools that will be doctoral and PhD programs. So it will be a, uh, an educational gathering place and a great collaboration between a, a foundation with, I think, a great deal of vision and universities that want to be a part of this. And so they're there and uh, I think doing it uh, for all the right reasons. I think to, to develop programs in that area, uh, I think to be part of a changing society and uh, I think those are the main reasons I really believe are primarily idealistic and have to do with the noble cause of education rather than say money or soft power or other strategic issues. And of course Qatar is a great uh, uh, ally of the United States. Well let's let's talk for a moment about money and yes, soft sure, power. Yes, sure. Uh, there are many people who say that money is at the basis of this uh, universal university interest in extending itself. Right. 
Well, as you, as you recall, our old colleague and friend, Fred Friendly, used to say, if it's not about the money, it's about the money. And so I always uh, am careful to say it's not about the money because these things cost money. To, these institutions are extremely expensive, uh, not only their physical plants, but funding faculty, research, housing, all these kinds of things. The Qatar Foundation, in the case of Education City, is paying the bill for everything. So unlike some schools which are actually investing in international operations, there is no uh, direct cost to, uh, in terms of a financial burden on the home university and relatively modest uh, uh, management fees. So uh, it, it's, I say it's not about the money in that it, uh, nobody's doing this to make a big profit. In fact, the management fees are less than probably any overhead on a major federal grant. So it's, uh, I mean, I think it's a very workable operation. It's a win-win for everybody involved. Uh, and the, the risk, of course, is a risk of reputation. And that, of course, is at the heart of the, some of the debate you referred to about international campuses themselves. Uh, there have been those also who have said, you, Ev Dennis, yeah. without mentioning you by yeah, name. Sure. But your colleagues and you are, in a sense, the American centurions. Mm the symbols of and the spreaders of American power. How do you respond to that? Because on some level it is absolutely true. At some level it is, and uh, the difference, of course, is that we are not an army of occupation. We were invited there, uh, you know, to go, to go there. All the institutions were invited there and went through quite a process to decide whether they wanted to go. It wasn't an instant decision, let's, yes, let's go. Uh, the other part of it is that uh, what we're doing is not simply implanting American values, but developing a program that's respectful of local traditions and culture something is going to work in that environment. It's a, you could not go uh, to many of these countries and do exactly what you do in the United States. You can deliver the same program substantively, but you have to be respectful of the Islamic faith, uh, I think some of the issues in the community, uh, as, aspects of visual culture, I mean many, many things that are, are different. Modesty of people, uh, some big issues, some very small, but I think uh, learning about a new culture a long and old tradition that actually had a great got intellectual roots back in the eighth century, and and bringing that into play in the in the modern era is exciting and fun, and uh, I think it has value. And of course, does this benefit the United States? I suppose so. But uh, many people, once you get established there, don't think of you so much as an American institution. You have American names. Uh, much of our faculty come from the United States, some stay, some come and go, uh, but I think people think of it very much as a part of the community. And uh, I was in a, uh, a majlis, which is a gathering place of a, of a prominent member of, of one of the, the Qatari community just a couple of weeks ago, and uh, uh, he asked me some questions about local politics, and I said, well, I, I beg to differ on that, or, or I uh, really don't want to uh, deal so much in your local domestic politics. After all, we're a guest in the house. And he said, no, you're a partner. And I thought that was a great thing, that they see us as uh, an institution and an uh, instrument by which their own people can be educated in a very interesting way in that 40% of our students are Qatari students from the immediate community. The rest, we have 50 passports or so, and they come from the rest of the world. And when you talk to uh, some of the leadership there, they say it's very important for us that you get the best students in the world come here. We want our, our students to be tested against that kind of, of standard. And we try to maintain standards as close as we can to the main campus in Evanston, and we're, and we're uh, doing well in that, in that regard, getting students of quality on every measure you would imagine, 
and putting them to the same tests they would be put to in the U.S. And what are the difficulties? Well, the difficulties are, I think, first, just adapting to a very different culture. Weather is a problem in Qatar, of course. It's no, aside very, from the weather, hot, I would assume. <laughs> very hot there. I think uh, when, you're dealing, uh, it, when you're dealing with uh, something as volatile and changing as, as uh, disruptive media technologies in a country that's wanting to be a media player, uh, there's, there, there's a tug of war there. There are times when uh, uh, we don't get access, our students uh, want access to certain government agencies, they want things to be more transparent. Uh, there can be dust-ups with uh, security and, and police, nothing of, of great consequence, but it does happen. You have to work that through. Are you talking about Washington, D.C.? It sounds like it, doesn't it? Yes. it? But the government has not closed yet in Qatar. It's open for business. So uh, that's, that's the one different. But, but I think that many of the crit criticisms of international campuses are true in many places in the world, including some parts of the United States. If you, I don't agree with the policies of every one of the, the, the 50 states and things that happen there, but uh, you know, I wouldn't say you shouldn't send your children to Texas because some of the policies there are, are also tough. Uh, so I mean, these are things that are a part of, of change and kind of understanding and adapting. The American students. How are they yes. doing there? Well, we have relatively few now. We're getting more next fall, but they're coming in greater numbers, and they're very interested. Some of them come because they have Middle Eastern heritage, and they want to retouch that heritage and understand it and take advantage of our, our Middle Eastern studies courses and our Middle Eastern media courses. But they're doing extremely well, and, and uh, they come with a, a very different context. And one of the great debates between our students is that some of the, the Qatari and the Middle Eastern students will, will somehow believe that there is an absolute freedom of expression in the United States and you can do anything you want. And the American students will tend to say, well, not quite. You know, uh, some things are the same everywhere in the world. And uh, I think that's it. But the students are doing well. They, they're getting out into the community. They're learning the Arabic language in a number of cases where that's uh, something they want to do. And they're producing wonderful documentaries, they've written plays, they produce articles, they have a web-based uh, uh, daily newspaper, the Daily Q, and it's really uh, quite exciting and a wonderful link back to our home campus as well where students and faculty are coming in greater numbers to join us. I would think that one great question does come up and that is the relationship uh, that we identify so much with the Mideast and that is of the role of Israel yes. in that area. How does that impact, play a part in what you're doing? Well, it does, and, and uh, you, you can't not uh, deal with Israel. Much of the Middle East pretends that Israel doesn't exist. That's really not true in our classrooms in Qatar, and uh, we have conversations all the time. The students hear about uh, two-state solutions and that sort of thing that would not have been very common in that country in the past. Qatar, unlike some of the other countries, has had some tentative relations with Israel. There have been trade delegations in the past. Israeli scholars and business leaders and others come to Qatar for international conferences. They've been hired by the government for some projects, I understand. So there's at least some movement back and forth. But it's, it's somewhat tentative, but it's not the closed door that exists everywhere. And uh, typically, having an Israeli passport is not uh, a problem there. But of course, there's, there are not diplomatic relations formally. One would hope that would happen at some point. But there are Jewish faculty, uh, not from Israel at the moment, but uh, and uh, students uh, and, and others. And so I, mean, I think we're very open on, 
on these issues. How comfortable are the Jewish faculty and students? Well, I think quite. Uh, the, uh, a number have, uh, have come and gone at different times and have, have not found that to be much of an issue and people are quite willing to talk about these, uh, these matters. We had a young uh, Israeli uh, professor who's just been hired at our Evanston campus come and visit a couple of weeks ago and he was around for a while and I think we'll see more of that. So uh, that's also, uh, I think, a very healthy development. Uh, How much, and we just have a, a couple of minutes left, how much of this is going on around the world in areas as the one in which you now mm -hmm. work um, in which there are such different values from our own? What's happening to the American university system? I see, well, and you mentioned some of the mm -hmm. uh, campuses, yep. but I have the feeling that we're expanding, expanding, expanding. Well, I think we are. We're not, we're not the only... Uh, country that's that's developing campuses. Some European universities are doing this in the Middle East and in China and India and elsewhere. I think there's going to be more and more of that. I think one of the great assets of the United States is its system of higher education. It's one of the things we have both to bring international students here and to export abroad. And I think that's uh, you know one of our great assets, and we ought to ought to develop that more. But as you know, schools like NYU and Yale and and many others uh, have various enterprises out in the world, and they're not doing this because they have to. These are universities of great substance and and stature and resources. They're doing it for reasons other than the mighty buck. John Sexton, president of NYU, has been here quite frequently talking about what I might call the world university. Yes. Is that your vision too? It is. I think at least everybody is going to subscribe to some kind of global understanding. And for our students, we want them to really plug into a global society, understand the great issues, what works in one culture and does not work in another. And we, a year ago, uh, sponsored, a year and a half ago, I guess it was, we sponsored a good offices conference for the Libyan government, the, the, the uh, interim government in Libya, to help the Libyans develop a Magna Carta for media. And whether it will ever be implemented or not, who knows? But that was a chance to really reach out and, and look at something that may be 20 years down the road. And part of that was because the Libyans recognized that to be a player in the world today, you've got to have some kind of open, independent media system and some transparency. And they're not there. But I, I think these kinds of things are, are, are helpful. And it, it's one of the contributions we can make uh, to world understanding and to make sure that our students can, be, can work almost anywhere in the world. They understand that it's a fluid place and the borders are now porous and moving and living in different places is going to be part of, of the future and that speaks to a global university, whether it's in a physical place or it's, it exists digitally somewhere in cyberspace. Uh, let me ask whether there is any connection, um, visible yep. or however tenuous between what it is you're doing and what it is the others are doing and our government policy? I think uh, government policy, I think, plays very, very little role. We have really little or no connection with the government directly. We see the American ambassador once in a while at social events. Uh, that's about it. Uh, I think, uh, I don't think there's official policy anywhere that even encourages this or makes it uh, uh, particularly attractive for university. I think it's really being done by 
by gov other governments, by foundations. Now, it plays into U.S. government policy in that it tends to happen in places where there are at least diplomatic relations with the government and some sense of uh, that government wanting to have American institutions there. So I suppose in that sense it's, uh, uh, it's contiguous, but not always. And people will say to me, how can you be in a country where they're at odds with the U.S. government policy on this or that? And uh, you know, I say to him, well, listen, it's an independent sovereign state, little one, but it, it has its own mind about what it wants to do in the world. And it does seem to have very good diplomatic relations with the United States and two large military bases there. So, uh, uh, you know, it doesn't seem to be a problem for our government. And yet uh, we here and our students certainly are not, uh, you know, necessarily out beating the drum for American foreign policy necessarily and don't always approve of it. There's, uh, there's a lot of conflict and, and discussion about these issues. Certainly those who are not favorably disposed toward us see this as part of the American imperium. Oh, they do indeed, yes. And, and uh, uh, the universities, whether it's in Qatar or in UAE or China, uh, there are certainly forces in all of these countries that oppose these institutions being there at all and are highly critical. So that, that's part of what you also play with. There's criticism coming from the West about whether we ought to be there or not. There's criticism internally about whether we ought to be there. It turns out that at the moment in Qatar, the, uh, the critics are, are, you know, they're, they're there, but they're relatively, um, it's, it's a rather small faction compared to the belief that these institutions, not just ours, but the others there from the U.S. and from other countries, are playing a role that's going to help develop that economy. And so they see it as having a very great self-interest, whether it's in hospitals or sport and other kinds of things. And sport has played a great role with Qatar getting the World Cup in 2022. That's a great driver, not only for business development and other, uh, and for higher education, but for freedom of expression and media. Ev Dennis, your report is quite fascinating. I certainly wish you luck, and uh, I'll be interested to know a year from now whether you feel progress has been made as you predict in the way forward your report. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you very much. It's always great to be with you. And thanks to you in the audience. I hope you'll join us again next time. Meanwhile, as another old friend used to say, good night and good luck. And do visit the Open Mind website at 13.org slash openmind to reprise this program online right now or to draw upon our archive of 1,500 or so other Open Mind and related programs. That's 13.org slash openmind.